0: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Label! It's 30 with Murdy, with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everybody. Sweeney Murdy here. It's on the 30 with Murdy platform, but here is another edition of me and Eddie C. Joined by Ed Coleman, as I am from time to time, and you'll find us here on radio.com, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your, your 30 with Murdy podcasts and more. Uh, and right before we check in for a little Thanksgiving break, I figured it's a good time to talk to Eddie and kind of break down some of the things happening with Mets, Yankees, and around baseball. Eddie, how you doing today? I'm good,
2: Sweeney. I'm good. Looking forward to uh, Thanksgiving A Thanksgiving like we've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, sheltered in place pretty much. And uh, well, it, it's funny because uh, I know what I'm going to do and I think I know what you're going to do, but I'm not sure what the rest of the world yeah. is doing because airports are full and people are on the road. I mean, it's some crazy times. Crazy times. You
1: telling me that I can't have a lot of people in my house? <laughs> uh, I, what's the problem here? I
2: don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's deterred a lot of people, though. It, it certainly seems that's that true. way. God.
1: that's true uh, too. Well, uh, we'll we'll brace for the fallout that's coming. In about a week, and uh, hopefully, I mean, we're joking about it now, hopefully it's uh, it's not going to be to the extremes that people are talking about. Some uh, yeah. some baseball news to digest before we get into digesting turkey and stuffing and everything else. Sandy Alderson met the media on Monday, and a couple of interesting things from him, just to, well, in terms of the operational structure of the Mets right now it really seems like Sandy's going to be running point here, which I don't think he intended, but there are a few dominoes have fallen and it seems like he's basically the guy in charge right now. Is that about it?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's uh, I think he went out and taught to David Stearns. I know that for one, anyhow, in, in Milwaukee and there were others as well, but he was fi- having problems, you know, because it, it's pretty much a lateral move. As a matter of fact, I think just either prior to that or right after it, they made Stearns the president of baseball ops yes. in, in Milwaukee So it's, it's a lateral or it would have been a lateral move for him. And, uh, you know, they, they like him there and he's going to stay there as well. Um, But, you know, Sandy, uh, I think is, is going to be more involved than he thought at the beginning. Anyhow, I I asked him toward the end of the conference yesterday um, because he had said uh, in his original conference that he's going to have a seat at the table, but it's not going to be at the head of the table. So I asked him now, like, where are you sitting now? What's it? And, (laughs) And he was he was kind of funny because he said maybe we'll have a round table and I'll have the only chair with arms. And uh, you know, so <laughs> then I guess he'll he'll be the head guy in that sense. But he's obviously gonna have more say in what, what goes on. But I, I think basically what he's trying to do is is bring somebody in as a general manager who he can then elevate to the president of baseball operations when he decides to step aside. Because I, I don't think that's changed. I think that he is not gonna do this forever. He's 73. Uh, If he puts a couple of years in or two or three, if he's having fun, maybe he does more. I don't know. But, uh, if he's having fun and then winning, that going to be nice. Uh, but I I, th- I think that's the plan anyway. Whoever that person is will then elevate and
1: then have a general manager
2: under him as well.
1: The maybe he does more part is interesting to me because is that something that is maybe keeping some people from jumping into this, where they're, they're kind of in the middle here, they're under Sandy, and there's an understanding that you're going to be elevated above that. But what if that doesn't happen? Is that maybe a reason that... Some of these guys, like Stearns or anybody else, is reluctant to jump in because they don't necessarily have full control yet, and they don't know when they're going to get it. Could very well be. You you could be right on the money. And the other part of it is too. Uh, and
2: we'll talk about this in a second. But Luis Rojas is the manager. A manager has already been named. So, and I don't think that's a bad decision. I like it. I think it's a good decision. And I think you know that's why Sandy went ahead with it. And whoever comes in is obviously going to agree with that or going to have to agree with that. But I think that's that's part of it. You know, we always like to set things up where the general manager and the manager are kind of in at the same time. So if you're going to make a move, you can get them both out at the same time. That's not the case here, more or less. But uh, I, I think that's something that somebody has to understand when they when they come in.
1: I think that would be a trickier situation if, say, Tony Larusso was your manager. You know, any one of these stronger figureheads that are used to working a certain way or under their their, uh, own supervision, so to speak. Uh, But when you've got a guy like Rojas or the way the organizations have been structured lately, I don't think that's as big a deal as it used to be because the manager isn't the guy on his lone island. Uh, But Luis Rojas showed everybody enough in 60 games. They said... He's worth bringing back, and Sandy delivered that message to him. I guess just before he spoke to you on Monday. Yeah, I ca- you kind
2: of get the sense from the original uh, press conference that he had that Rojas was going to be his guy. He said he hadn't told him yet. Uh, that was, you know, that that was going to come down the line. But uh, he knows Louis very well. Uh, Louis worked on the staff the year before as the uh, kind of ombudsman or the. uh, uh, the guy who relayed the front office information to the players uh, as the you know bench analytics guy, if you will. So uh, players know him well, he's well-respected. Uh, so I, I think you knew that was coming uh, and it was certainly no surprise. And I honestly, I'd, I think whoever is hired for this job when they meet Luis Rojas will be one over. I mean, he's, he's that, he's that good a guy. And uh, I, I think he, uh, he translates across all levels. That's player, Front office, uh, you know, you know, even down to the bat boys and that. He's uh, he's a good person.
1: The Mets and Yankees are both in the market for starting pitching, and how they get it, I think, is still to be determined trademark it, see what the non-tenders are like, if there's pictures available there. But one name off the board, as you and I are speaking right now, Charlie Morton agreeing to a one-year, $15 million deal with the Braves. I was told that the Mets had more serious interest in Morton than the Yankees, although both were involved to some degree. Uh, But it's taking him away from Tampa Bay, putting him on Atlanta. It kind of Mm -hmm. affects both the teams we cover.
2: Yeah, it does. And I, I think it's a huge get for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, listen, they've, they've kind of, uh, I think Alex Anthopoulos has done a pretty good job of uh, kind of cornering the market on the one-year contracts. He did it with Ozuna last year. That was terrific, and it worked out well for him. Uh, I'm not sure where he's going to land up but at this point. I know he just changed agencies as well. I think he went over to, to CIA because he was upset with the lack of offers that were coming in. But I don't think anybody's really getting that many offers at, at this point in time. It's kind of slow. But Morton is, you know, to me, is huge. I, I know he's, he's from around the Tampa area, so that, that's what made the Rays appealing. But Atlanta's not far, so uh, that keeps him fairly close to home. But when you consider, Sweeney, you know, Max Freed really kind of had a breakthrough season for him this year, uh, their lefty. But the other guys that came up, Ian Anderson, uh, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, all those guys kind of filled in because of, you know, Newcomb didn't work out. Mike Soroka got hurt. Soroka's now throwing. And I have a question for you about Soroka in the in, in second. But, you know, when you throw all those names together, if those guys are healthy and they take steps forward, that's a heck of a pitching staff. And you have a guy like Morton, at the head of it, uh, or as a veteran guy at the top, that's, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, this isn't, you know, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, Avery, but the, the Braves right. are, are building pitching again, and they're successful because they're doing that. They obviously have a lot of good young players, too. You mentioned one-year deals. Josh Donaldson jumps to mind, too. I think they signed him to a one-year yeah, deal a yeah. couple of years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, they see the value in that. You were going to ask me something about Soroka. Yeah. Well, yeah, Zach Britton
2: had an Achilles yes. uh, injury as well, and Britton had it on his landing foot. Soroka is is on his push off foot. I think Britain came back. I'm going to say six months or thereabouts. Was it longer? I, I, th- yeah, I thought it was around six months. I,
1: I want to say it's a little bit. I mean, pitching again, yeah, something like maybe six or eight months. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, it, it was yeah. it was definitely on the fast side uh, and fast enough for him to show that he was a, a good trade candidate.
2: When yeah, know, when and I, I guess my question to you would be if you talked to him like the. the the, the the push off leg I think is different and maybe maybe tougher because uh, you know you've got to put a little more stress on that with the rubber I don't I'm not sure but I wondered if Britain had problems with that uh, or whether that came back easily to him and whether it would take Soroka a longer time than say the six to eight months or so.
1: It's a good question. I I think I remember him talking about how he got, you know, it kind of got back up on the horse quickly, uh, but it took a while for everything to kind of feel normal again. The thing mm-hmm. I would be worried about with Soroka would be, you know, the impact on mechanics as far as all the way up the chain because now you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to start hurting things uh, elsewhere um, that, that require some yep. other attention. So I uh, And he's a big guy. So I think he's 6'4" or 6'5" or so. He's a, he's a big kid. So. Yeah, so it's, um, it's definitely a concern there. But, you know, the pitching market, I, I still feel like we're, I don't know how many starters are going to shake loose at the non tender deadline. I feel like that's more of a position player thing and maybe a bullpen thing. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think everybody's kind of waiting around to see what this extra pool of players is going to look like before they really dive in.
2: Yeah. December 2nd is uh, the day we're getting close to it at this point in time. I, I, I'll throw out a question to you, uh, Tanaka, because he's mm-hmm. obviously a guy that I think both teams in New York could use. He'd be very happy to stay in New York. I think either way, I personally, I think DJ LeMayu is going to be a Yankee. That's just my feeling. I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, I think if he's in New York, LeMayu will be a Yankee. I'm not sure about Tanaka. And I, I wonder whether you know, that would translate to uh, to either team. It's
1: you know? funny. The Yankees are sending all kinds of signals that they're not going to spend a lot this winter. I mean, we've seen them in the past, you know, where, where you know, whether it was the year that they brought in Tanaka and McCann and Ellsbury and all that, or go back to Sabathia and Burnett and Teixeira, or even last year at Garrett Cole. You know, that didn't sneak up on anybody. You knew they had money to spend. You knew who was out there that fit their needs, and they were going to spend it. Uh, this year, they certainly have needs, but they're not sending the signals that they're in all in on every one of these guys or spending to the degree that they have in years past. They talked about the you know, obviously this situation this year, the financial situation is really what is driving a lot of this right now. They just spent last year on Garrett Cole. That said, we see Charlie Morton get fifteen mil. You know, is Tanaka's thinking, okay, that's that's baseline. Okay, one year, you know, two for 30, three for 45, let's keep going up, multiply from there and uh, and see where we get. I would think that's a reasonable ask on Tanaka's part, um, mm-hmm. but yep. if the Yankees are bringing back Lemayhu and Tanaka, I wonder how much that eats into what they're projected. You know, they don't tell us exactly what they're spending. Um,
0: right.
1: and, and maybe that's a chance, rather than, I said this on SNY on Monday night, rather than measure Steve Cohen's impact in hundreds of millions of dollars with the Springers and the Bowers, the extra 5 or 10 that it takes to steal away players from other teams might be exactly where Steve Cohen's influence can be the largest, where he can say, okay, if you're going to 20, I'll give you 25. If you're going Mm -hmm. to 50, I'll give you 60. This extra little increments that could make a difference for players, and I wonder if in LeMahieu or Tanaka's case, maybe that's part of the argument.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. And, and uh, to, to back that up a little bit, uh, they've already, the Mets have already signed a guy who a lot of people don't know about, Sam McWilliams is his name, right-handed pitcher, who's bounced around. I think he's been with four or five teams. I know he was with the Rays and a couple of other teams, but uh, a guy who has a great upside but has never really put it together. Uh, throws hard, you know, high nineties and that. Uh, and they signed him for seven hundred and fifty thousand, I think. Um, and with he'll no be major in. league
1: service time, correct? Right.
2: No, yeah. no major league service time. Uh, but again, a guy with a high upside. But what? One thing that Sandy Alderson mentioned in his original press conference was to kind of uh, build up. The double A AA and triple A rosters—they they really have nothing there. They have some good kids down below that, uh, and they do have some talent in the minors. They have a couple at those levels, but they're they're really thin. So what they're what they're going to do, and I think what Steve Cohen is going to do, and with his money, a, a lot is is try to secure some of those guys. And I think you'll see a lot of the you know the guys who are there on December second, whether they're on the major league team or not, you know, will be given some kind of deal to you know maybe kind of of the system a little
1: bit, you know, uh, speaking of Steve Cohen, he's made a pretty big impact already just with <laughs> fans, you know, and yep. uh, we, we talked, I think, after his first uh, uh, press conference, uh, he's had a little bit of presence on social media, interacting with fans, and it wasn't just the one time, tell me about what you want to see improve, he goes back and forth a little bit, he seems to have some fun with it, on um, this is you know to me though this is everybody loves it, but to me, this is exactly like the guy like let's say Garrett Cole last December. you signed the big free agent contract, you had a big press conference, and everybody loves you forever and ever because you haven't gone out there and pitched yet you haven't won a game, you haven't lost a game, you haven't done anything to impact anything on the field yet it's the greatest day in your life you've just been dropped a boatload of money on your front porch, and now you're you're the you know the flavor of the month. Steve Cohen kind of fits that bill for me right now, where Mets fans, this is the free agent Mets fans have been waiting for, but he hasn't struck out yet. He hasn't given up a home run yet. And (laughs) nothing has happened to change the perception. And he's, I think he is so aware of that. He's riding that pretty well right now. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's riding the crest of the wave of honeymoon time for uh, for
2: Steve Cohen. And listen, he's having fun with it. What's interesting is that he was not a big guy on Twitter. I think his wife was and got him into Twitter. Obviously, when when the sale came down and uh, and and the uh, you know the stuff started back and forth with the fans, but. He's had some interesting stuff that he's throwing out there. You know, making Bobby Bonilla Day an actual day. You know, let's 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 celebrate it. let's have a day. We'll get Bobby there. You know, hand him a check every That's year. That's actually and, a really good idea. It is a good, it's a great idea. But you know, he's uh, he's having fun with it. He's he's got a sense of humor. At least we know that. And he's he's been kind of. And kind of funny. He's also thrown a, a little shade and a couple of jabs at, at, at uh, J Lo and A Rod.
1: Yeah, uh, he even, <laughs> yeah, he even yeah. threw some
2: shade at J Lo after the uh, AMAs, the American yeah. Music Awards, the other night, which was interesting. After you know, giving them a shot uh, during his opening press conference too. So he's not afraid to throw it out there. I mean, I think he's doing it good naturedly. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, you're right. Yeah, there there has. There haven't been any bumps in the road yet, so he's he's enjoying a honeymoon period. and He's
1: he's taking it and riding that wave. Uh, he's, he's at the crest of the wave right now, for sure. And while he's out front pulling back the reins is Terry Collins, a guy you got to cover for a really long time. And I guess uh, there had been some talk about his role in the organization, and John Heyman reached out to him last week, and Terry said, I'm retired, I'm out. And, oh. um, you know, you spend an awful lot of time. You know, I, I think one of the great things that we get to do – And I, you know, my first seven years covering baseball was with Joe Torrey. And for people who don't know what we do, when you cover baseball, you talk to the manager twice a day, every day and before a game and after a game. Uh, And that starts in spring training and to do it over the course of eight or nine months and do it year after year with the same guy, you learn quite a bit. And it's, um, I mean, it's an education when you sit next to these guys and just little bits and pieces every day, and I know you had a, a ball talking to Terry Collins all those years. Uh, he was probably my favorite. I,
2: my, I, I was trying to think back. I, I think it's eight managers that I've covered with, uh, with the Mets. Dallas Green, Bobby Valentine, uh, Willie Randolph, uh, Jerry Manuel, Art Howe. I don't want to forget Art. Um, Did you have Torborg for a little too? Uh, and Torborg just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that actually would make nine, just a, a sh- brief time with uh, with Jeff Torborg. Better make nine. Uh, and, uh, TC and Mickey Calloway. Uh, TC uh, and Dallas were, were probably my favorites, and, and Willie too, and I love Willie. But TC was, was interesting because he was there the longest. Uh, uh, you know, he was there for a good chunk of time uh, and was always, you know, you always got the straight dope from, from TC. There was no... There was no mixing, uh, you know, uh, listen, you know, publicly, a lot of times, you know, you have to say what you have to say. He never really threw his players under the bus, but when he needed to or wanted to, he did. Okay. It wasn't, this wasn't, you know, a total Pollyanna thing. When Terry needed to get a message across, he got a message across. But uh, anytime you asked him a question, you know, you got the straight stuff with Terry and I, I loved him. One thing I always loved about Terry, you know, he would, he would talk to us in the press conference of the day. I would have to do a, a manager show with him, you know, which I always loved doing, but he would come out, you know, from the tunnel to the dugout and he would always stop and, and talk to the, the beat guys uh, or anybody. Else. Some, sometimes guys would have a question and they'd stop, but even if they didn't, he'd stop and just, Hey, how are you doing today? What's going on? You know, and it might be two minutes. It might be 20 minutes, but that's what I always loved about Terry. He was always uh, accessible Uh, always available and uh, and he shot straight. And uh, I, I loved him. I, you know, to me, he was, he was, I think what I liked the best about him was he was an old school baseball guy who realized he had to change. He had to change, you know, with the times and he did that and he did it successfully. Not everybody loved him. I'm sure not all players loved him, but, uh, I, I thought he was great for the game, and uh, I, I just loved being around him. He's terrific.
1: It's funny because that's kind of universal going back to his early days managing with the Angels, too. There are a lot of players that, you know, I think they respected him, baseball yeah. lifer, but his style wasn't... And he's a lot like Dallas in this regard that you were talking about. You know, he wasn't there to coddle players and pat them on the back all the time, make them feel good, like, and yeah. that's part of what went into the player-manager relationship with those guys.
2: Yeah. No, he, listen, he... Uh, he was terrific uh you know he he knew the game knew the game well um, you know one thing he'll always be remembered for obviously is not going out to get matt harvey uh, you know in that ninth inning and you know whether you know whether the Mets would have come back and, and won three in a row and won the World Series I have no idea probably not but at the same time that's that's something that you know people will always think back on uh I don't think they should uh, i I thought Terry you know honestly got more out of players during years when I didn't think the Mets were going anywhere and they were still they weren't a playoff team during some of those years but they were much better than anybody could have expected and to see what he did in you know 2015 driving that team down the stretch to to get them all the way to the World Series and then the next year same thing bad start and driving him down the stretch to get to a uh, a wild card uh, game which they lost but uh, to watch that uh, in person to see him do that every day uh, I, I thought he was terrific.
1: So I want to backtrack a minute. There has been one stain, so to speak, in the Steve Cohen era. But somehow yeah. he's found the ray of sunshine that comes out of it and hits him right on the forehead. Robinson Cano gets suspended for next year, and Steve Cohen gets an extra twenty million dollars to play with. Uh, that seems to be a little odd, but you know, from the baseball standpoint, you know, you and I have both gotten to see Cano up close um, and. To me, it's really just disappointing, because he's now in the category of, you know, it's a small category, but there are certain guys who you can kind of separate, okay, this is their career, this is their career before PEDs, this is their career after PEDs, with two major suspensions now, he's kind of in this A-Rod category with me, where you don't know what's honest and what's not. You know that they were super talented, and you know they were fun to watch, but when you're trying to compare apples to pumpkins it really doesn't make much sense to you when you're trying to put their careers into whatever category you want to put them in because you have no idea what was honest and that's the shame to me about you know both of those guys and anybody else that falls in there and you know Kano's a guy I saw from the first day he ever put on a big league uniform and that's the part that saddens me because he was so good and now we're not allowed to think of him that way
2: yeah, no, I, I think it cast aspersions on his entire career. You're absolutely right. I think you know him better than I do. You spent a lot of time with him. I didn't get to know Robbie all that well. Uh, obviously, we had you know, virtually no contact this year, and I had a little bit, obviously, last year, but he was hurt a lot of last year, right. too. My, here's my guess or take on Robinson Cano. I, I don't To me, I don't think he was a guy who used steroids his entire career. I think he was a hell of a player uh, headed for the Hall of Fame. I do think he slowed down uh, toward the end of his contract and time in Seattle. And I think that's probably when he started using. I don't know if he did use um, during the 2019 season, but it was so bad uh, during that time. And his bat was so slow that I think it might've spurred him to go do it for 2020. uh, And he obviously did. Um, That's my take on it. I think he said to himself, Hey, look, I'm not going to get to 3000 hits this way. You know, I've slowed down. They've picked up, uh, and I'm, I'm on the other side right now. So I've got to figure out a way to get there. And this is, you know, might help me. So that, that entire, that's entirely my guess. I have no idea about it. I'm very disappointed too. Uh, the disappointing thing to me, uh, the, the most disappointing thing to me is his relationship with a lot of the Latin and Hispanic players in the Mets clubhouse, uh, that to me, you know, like I'm um, thinking of the Ahmed Rosarios and the Andres Jimenez's. uh you know, he, he had a great influence on these guys. And to see that, uh, you know, just it's a kind of a slap in the face uh, to them. You know, I, um, I, I know he hasn't addressed it at all. Maybe someday or sometime he will. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, that was the most disappointing thing to me. I, I saw how much Robbie Cano was revered in the clubhouse by, you know, the younger guys. And that's. The, the most terribly disappointing thing to me. That's really getting let down by, you know, your idols and, and the people you look up to and you want to emulate and be that kind of player. That that's the most disappointing thing to me.
1: You know, and and along those lines, I remember Cano in his sixth year in the big leagues in 2010, he got off to this great start and he looked like, you know, they'd won the World Series in oh nine. And he got off to this great start in April, and I vividly remember this conversation with him about, you know, really what's what's changed for him. It looked like he had kicked his game up another notch, mm-hmm. and he talked to me about seeing what it took, finally, to finish the deal in 2009 and win the World Series, seeing what it took to go from February through, I mean, it was early November of that year, so uh, all the way through, watching guys like Jeter and Posada go about their business and teach him all these years, it finally clicked, you know? He was a young kid and, you know, relied on a lot of talent, natural talent, had a lot of fun, uh, nightlife, everything like that, Uh, and it finally clicked in for him, what it took to be not just good, but to be great, Mm-hmm. and yep. i saw that for the next few years and I, I i to me it felt like he just wanted to be that like that's where he was that's where he was headed and and maybe you're right maybe it has a lot to do with slowing down these last couple of years and trying to finish out the deal and honor of the contract we're not going to know until he opens his mouth and tells us why and even then yeah. i don't know if we're going to believe him because a statement he made statements he made after the last time and here he got caught again but yeah, you're right. That to me is a disappointing part because he's, you know, he took that lesson from somebody else, and yep. he put it into play. And mm-hmm. he was at a point in his career where he's now passing that lesson on to somebody else, and yep. that's going to get lost. And to me, that's really disappointing. Yep.
2: Um, it he, crea- uh, go ahead. Yeah one of, one of the intriguing things to me is, and and people forget about this a little bit. Yeah, Steve Cohen has you know twenty million dollars now that he didn't have that he can play with now. Robbie Cano still has forty million dollars right. from the Mets, uh, 48 all told, some of it from Seattle, but forty million, I think it's forty point five, due from the Mets in the final two years of his contract after next year. Now I don't I don't know how Steve it's easy for me to say, you know, Steve, okay. Him Steve a check, on, right? yeah, yeah. Write him a check and get him out of here, but I don't, I don't know what the Mets are going to do. It's a, it's an awful lot of money and and they're responsible for that money. And it's, and it goes against their, you know, their, their cap as well too. So right. I don't, I don't know how he's going to handle that, uh, but my, just, you know, looking at it from uh, a faraway perspective, as far as Sandy and, and I don't think Sandy wants him back here at all. And I, I don't blame him. I, I really don't. Uh, but at the same time, it's still $40 million. Yeah. So what do you do with
1: it, you know? It's funny. Maybe you could cut a Bobby Bonilla-type deal and pay him through <laughs> 2084. And uh, Yeah, you know, exactly. It would be some other <laughs> owner's problem down there. Like the a 4th
2: of July weekend. It's a <laughs> Bonilla
1: Day would be July This is Old Timer's then... Day. Yeah, exactly. this is the, bring back Old Timer's Day and give everybody a check on the way in the door.
2: Oh, <laughs> so thanks exactly. for coming.
1: You've earned your money this year. Yeah, um, well. The other thing that it kind of creates, Eddie, is it creates a, an opening at DH, and yeah, it, would be, cool. uh, it would be easy to talk about if you knew that the Mets needed a DH, but this is still part of the problem here. There, And it doesn't just affect the National League teams. I think it affects the American League teams because when you're trying to make trades, what you're usually looking to do is take a surplus of something you have and trade it for something you need. So if you're right. an, an American League team that has a couple of DH types and you know all these National League teams need to actually uh construct their roster with a DH in mind this time you're going to try to make trades American League to National League and try to get better that way well now you're being held up because i gonna just use the Yankees for example because I know their roster best if you you know if you got a guy like Miguel Andujar who would be a terrific National League DH and could get something in return you can't do anything because there are 15 teams that don't know if they're going to need the DH next year yeah
2: I mean, it, to me, it's been the most mystifying thing here in the off season. why this has not been settled. I mean, you know, I, I understand you have the collective bargaining agreement that sits on the horizon after the end of the season. But at the same time, you've got to get this straightened out. I mean, teams have to know. Sandy uh, mentioned this. Uh, at the end of his press conference yesterday, he was asked about uh, the schedule for next year, whether he'd heard anything about whether it's going to be shortened, et cetera. And, and also the DH. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to know because, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Well, one of the teams that, that had helped, you know, enormously last year was the Mets. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have a lot of DH types that you can plug in there uh, and, and, just on, on the face of things, you know, if you make Pete Alonzo a DH, you're better at first base right away if Don right. Smith is playing first base, period. That's, you know, uh, end of argument. So you've got to know these things and, and how you proceed not knowing that. I just don't know. It's, I mean, it's crazy. They've got to get this straightened out here, and I think pretty quickly.
1: And I think, you know, if you're a National League team, you probably – you know, and this year was odd because the rule was thrust upon them after you made all your transactions, building the team. If you're a National League team, you're building your roster with a couple of flexible pieces, guys who play multiple positions maybe aren't the best hitters, but you can use to pinch hit, move around the diamond, do double switch type things. When you no longer need to do that, you're not creating your roster the same way. So you need some slugger types on your roster now. And while National League teams saw an uptick in their offense simply because the pitcher wasn't hitting anymore, you'd still like to take a little bit better advantage of that, I would think. And the longer you wait here, the, the more you're slowing down the winter market. Yeah,
2: no, I, I think, I, you know, December 2nd, we talked about with the uh, with the non-tenders. I, I think somewhere here in the next couple of weeks, we've got to get to the point where, you know, you know what the rules are going to be uh, as far as DH and, you know, uh, proceeding for the next season. You might not know how many games, uh, you might not know when it's going to start. The virus is going to determine that. How many times have we said that over the last 10 months yeah. or so? But, uh, and the science will, uh, will guide us, but... You've got to figure out going forward here. I think over the next couple of weeks what it's going. You can't you can't wait until like say middle of January and say okay let's decide about the DH. here. Right. You know you can't do that when you have free agents that have to sign and you've got to get your rosters together. Uh, you can't do that. So something has to break here. I think fairly soon.
1: I heard Jim Bowden and Jim Duquette on MLB Network Radio last Friday discussing this, and okay. Bowden was saying. One of the things that's holding this up is that even though the owner's side wants the DH for the National League, they're using it as a bargaining chip to get expanded playoffs approved. And you know, and they were kind of taken aback by the fact that, listen, we all saw this this year. We know it's where the game is moving. We know it's good for the game. Why, why does it have to be a chip? Why can't it just be, let's just do this and then we'll deal with it later? Why do you have to get something for it now? And that could be, you know, uh, a, a reason why this hasn't been done yet. But that doesn't make any sense to me either.
2: Yeah, no. Well, it's an excellent point you bring up. I, you know, to me, I would, I would. It was here last year. I would put it in for this year, and then. When you get to the collective bargaining agreement, OK, then you can figure that out in the in the off season next year. You know, write yeah. it for another year. I, uh, I know they said they're going to put it in and we'll decide later. But, you know, to me, you have to get the, to the bottom of it, you know, I, I think pretty quickly. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to uh, uh, to mention just with Sandy so I can put that uh, uh, to rest Um and I'm reading the tea leaves here. I I have no idea what he's going to do moving forward here, but obviously the free agents are out there. I think we know the three primary free agents and the Mets could use each one of them uh, because it's a position of need for all of them. Uh, Just knowing Sandy, uh, as I do, you know, moving forward, I think the biggest need they have is catcher. And I, I think that. To me, is where he's he's going to point his ammunition uh, to Real Muto. Now, the the interesting thing there is too. I think that the DH kind of comes into play there because if it's if it's going to be in the National League, you have some DH types even down the line. I'm talking about Alonzo, who's very young, but. You know, that's uh, he has the type of body and the type of person that you might think of as being a DH in the future. So and then you have a catcher who may not be able to catch, you know, the entire contract as well. So you have to think about that. Um, But I, I, that's where I I think he will, you know, go after uh, that. That's where I think he'll spend most of his attention. And the other the other area, too, you know, he's already mentioned Trevor Bauer. And he he likes he and Sandy likes entertainment. You know, he. He, he understands what baseball is and he understands that it's, you know, not only a game that you've got to go out and grind and win, and you know, that's part of it, but people want to be entertained. And, uh, and he, I think he likes the whole Bauer thing. Plus the, the thing that he said at the end, when he was talking about Trevor Bauer, he says, I think we can learn from him, which was very interesting to me. You know, you I don't know if I've ever heard a general manager say that, you know, I want to get this player here because I think we can learn stuff from him you know, he's, he, he is a, he's a little bit wacky. I think we know that, but you know, he has some very interesting ideas and some of them have worked out very well. So, uh, that's just me reading it, reading the tea leaves. I have no idea whether that's the thrust that he's going to go after. But if if it was me guessing, that's that's what I think uh, he he may spend uh, most of his attention on those two. We'll see.
1: This is a man who once employed Ricky Henderson and Jose Canseco, yeah. so the entertainment value of him is certainly that. That's certainly not lost. Uh, going back to Sandy's days uh, with the Oakland A's so long ago, uh, there are a few names on the Hall of Fame ballot that stuck out to me, Eddie. I mean, it's going to be over, it's going to be what, almost two months now of conversation about the Hall of Fame ballot until we know the results. It takes up a lot of time in the winter, but you dive into it a little bit when the names get released, and it's kind of fun to look at some of these things. Um, Forgetting about the big guys right now, you know, Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, the ones Mm -hmm. that stuck out to me are uh, guys who I hope really, you know, with a ballot that's not as crowded as we've seen in the past, I hope really see support go up are Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland. And I, I think their case is made even stronger if Omar Vizquel gets in. But one of the things that I kind of think is, we talk so much about defense, right? Every time you got a great player, you say, well, but he's not a great fielder. We scoff at the DH for MVP awards because they don't play the field. Um, we get on people who hit because they don't play good defense. But when it comes time to putting them in the Hall of Fame, you're like, oh, you know what? They didn't have, they didn't have 500 home runs. You know, they didn't, If, if uh, Andrew Jones had won, I don't know, what he won. nine gold gloves? If he won one gold glove and had an extra 125 home runs, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't think that's right. I think there's a—we value defense in an everyday aspect of the game. I wish there was a way to value it in a career aspect with those guys who combine really, really good offense with— fantastic defense. And yeah, they're not, you know, the um, Scott Rowland isn't Mike Schmidt offensively and Andrew Jones isn't, you know, Mickey Mantle offensively, but you put their package together. They're great players. And I really wish there was more of a push to represent guys like that in the hall of fame. Uh, Great point. Uh, I would vote
2: for both of those guys. Uh, Number one, Go ask Lavin, Smoltz, and Maddox about Andrew Jones, okay, and how much he helped them during his time in center field for the Atlanta Braves. I saw him an awful lot. Uh, Andrew was – and I've, I've seen some pretty good center fielders, all right, uh, but Andrew Jones, to me, was the best, uh, made it look absolutely effortless out in center field and made ridiculous catches, uh, and running down balls looked absolutely, uh, you know, easy simple, uh, like he was just getting out of bed Uh, and not a bad hitter as well, too. Uh, I would vote for him in a heartbeat for the Hall of Fame. Roland, uh, I've always said this about Roland, the truest throw to first base that I've ever seen on a consistent basis. It was always at the glove in the midsection for the first baseman, regardless of where he picked it up, where it came from, it was always the truest throw over there. And and listen, there have been some great third basemen. I watched, you know, Robin Ventura when he was over there, Greg Nettles going back. Geo, I think, is a terrific third mm-hmm. baseman. All right? You get you get to watch on a daily basis here. And there, you know, countless others. But uh, you know, I, I thought Roland was was terrific at that. Um, you know, the it's interesting the, the Phillies right now have a third baseman that reminds me an awful lot of Scott Roland, Alec Baum a kid who came up and I, I love him. I, I watch him. And I said, wow, that's, that's Scott Roland, a young Scott yeah. Roland. Uh, but that, that's what I always thought about Roland. Uh, and you know, like I said, a very good offensive player, terrific defensive player, both of them, uh, Andrew Jones and Roland, both of them easily would get my vote.
1: Yeah, I just think we have to kind of lower the offensive standards a little bit when you've got players who are so exceptional the other way, especially when we take all these. I mean, listen, you covered Mike Piazza. Right now I'm covering Gary Sanchez. You know, all these guys took so many hits for their defense, but in the end it didn't matter as long as they hit. That's what you get rewarded for at the end. That's what you get paid for. I think there's a way to balance this out. And, again, I think, you know, Omar Vizquel has been inching closer and I think if he's going to get in, this might be the ballot to get in. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So if he gets in, I think it strengthens the case. We, uh I, Ozzie Smith has to be the only player who's ever gotten in just on his glove alone, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yep. It's such a big part of the game. I wish we would value it more, even if we can't count something that you know we can't count numbers or stats to make it hold up. I think if you watch enough baseball, you know who the really good defenders are, and there are certain ways to measure it now. Uh, and even I don't know if you can do it retroactively with some of these guys without the data, but it's it's just. There are certain players who are fun to watch. You talk about entertainment, defense can be very mm-hmm. entertaining. Those types of players are fun to watch. Those are the types of players I want to see recognized in the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, no, it's a great point. Listen, one one of my favorite guys to watch as a met and he's not a Hall of Famer was Ray Odonius. Yeah. Right? Ray Odonius was a magician at short stuff. I mean, it was ridiculous and and there were plays this year that Andres Jimenez, the young kid made. That you know just boggled my mind. and reminded me of Ordonez and Discal and others like that. So I don't know what's in his future. Who knows? But it's fun. That's part of the game. And it's a uh, you know the thing is maybe defense is, has taken a little bit of a backseat because we really need the ball to be in play more. <laughs> yeah, right. And it isn't okay. It just isn't. And that's that's part of the the real problem. We have to figure out a way to get the ball in play more so that there's more action and you can see plays like that you know, maybe that's, that, that, that has taken away from it. There's so many strikeouts in in these days, strikeouts, home runs and, and uh, you know, putting the ball in play and keeping the ball in play and, and, making the opposition make those plays or make mistakes, that's part of baseball. That's part of the game, big part of the game.
1: It's a really good point. When you've got, you know, 15 or 16 strikeouts per game, the chances to make those plays aren't a lot anymore. But, you know, you bring it up that, you know, Theo Epstein brought this up last week and, like, it took responsibilities. He kind of stepped away from the Cubs. He kind of took responsibility a little bit for being part of the group that shifted the game in this direction. but. I don't think you're putting this genie back in the bottle because you sign pitchers because they throw hard and get swings and misses. You sign hitters and tell them to don't hit the ball on the ground, uh, hit the ball in the air, hit it over the infielder's heads, hit it over the outfielder's heads if you can. Until you start bringing back guys who throw 85 to 88 with good movement and until you're satisfied with a 220 hitting shortstop that can field really well, you're not bringing that side of the game back. And he can right. apologize, and Theo can say, you know, we need to, everybody keeps saying, we need to bring more of this back. We need to put the ball in play more. Well, you're not signing guys who are making that happen. So I don't know how you're getting there.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I remember a conversation I had with Zach Wheeler uh, before he was a Philly when he was a Met. But, you know, Zach throws hard. I think we know that. But they were trying to get him to, throw a little less hard, take something off it and have better control or whatever, which, you know, he got down to, uh, Mm -hmm. he, he got back to, listen, he's a terrific pitcher, but he said to me one time, he says, you know, that's what they want me to do. And I induce ground balls. And then I watch the ground balls go through into the outfield when (laughs) they should be caught, you know, because they don't have the people behind him that get the ground balls. So what do they want? What do you want me to do is, you know, if, they criticize me for you know trying to throw hard and strike out people. Well, I understand. Yeah, it's better to get the you know throw less pitches. You know, keep the pitch count down, get ground balls, put the ball in play, that kind of thing. But I need the people behind me too to catch the ball. If they don't, then I'm sitting there giving up weak singles here left and right and giving up runs. So, it's a it's a quandary. Yeah,
1: yeah. And look well, at the contracts. I mean, go look at what Nathan Avalli got a couple of years ago. You know, throw hard, strike. You know, and and throw it. Throw hard a lot. You're gonna get paid, and that's what it comes down to. This is entertainment, but it's also a business. You know, they don't go out there; they don't get paid to show up. They get paid to perform, and you've created the system. It's evolved to the point where you can't just snap your fingers and make it go back to putting the ball in play uh, more times than not. I, I, I think it's a wonderful sentiment, Ed. I just don't know how we're ever getting there based on the way the game has has been played.
2: Yeah, it's 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 going down uh, the wrong road. But I would listen us in, in uh, hindsight. I would vote for Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland. I'd give my vote to both. I, I would assume Schilling is going to get in yeah. this year. Maybe Viscell, and then yeah, you know, we'll see whether the Clemens and Bonds and those guys, the steroid guys, you know, will get more votes this year. Are we down to our final uh, couple of things? Yep, or? I got one more for you. Okay, yep. um, good.
1: I uh, got one for you. Okay, I've worked at WFAN since 1993, and I believe I got Thanksgiving Day off that year. Even though I've worked plenty of Thanksgivings, but I worked the Friday after Thanksgiving that year, and I remember taking a train home from from Washington D.C. where I was at my uncle's house on Thanksgiving night. Friday morning, I shoot back up, and we were doing a, I think, an afternoon edition of Friday Night Football with you and Dave Jennings. Dave Jennings and the thing yeah. I remember about that is that day. The Friday after Thanksgiving to me, no matter what the actual date is, is always Doug Flutie Day. That's the <laughs> Miami Boston College game, 1984. Yeah. This epic Friday game. Um, and Flutie makes the pass and everybody has stories about it, but we, that year in 1993, Doug Flutie is getting ready to play a great cup championship game. And I got him on the phone for you and Dave. I think he had just won his like third MVP in a row there too. Uh, but to, you know, kind of talk about the great cup and relive that. And we're only what, nine years removed from that at the time. And now we're, you know, so far removed from over 30 years removed from it, um, but Friday after Thanksgiving is always Doug Flutie Day, and another reason that that stands out for me is because, you know, this shows you how long ago 1993 was. He was calling us from some payphone in Canada, and <laughs> had to call collect. But there was something wrong; like I kept, like he kept getting disconnected. So God bless Doug Flutie. He called me back like three times from this payphone in Canada, and didn't, you know, didn't ever get frustrated. And he came on the show. Um, I. You know, sometimes you remember things for the weirdest reasons. That's what I remember. That's part of Thanksgiving at the fan for me, and I wanted to share that memory with you.
2: That's a, that's a great memory. That's you know, think about there are people out there that might be listening to this saying, "What's a payphone? <laughs> what, what, what what are, what are you talking collect. about? What, what do you mean What's, call a, pay? <laughs> what's a what's a payphone? Here's the the other the other part. I, I I vaguely remember that, but that, that's a great get. That, that is a great get with uh, getting Flutie that day. He threw the ball to Gerard Phelan. Right? Yes. That, yeah, was it Gerard Phelan? Yes. And I wonder where he is. That, there's an. I want you to get him. Let me go
1: and get him? I'll get him yeah, i get
2: him next week? Yeah, for next, the, the next time we do the show, get Gerard Phelan on, okay, and see where the heck he is and what's going on in his life these days. Uh, speaking of football, the thing I have for you, I know that Syracuse is terrible this year. I think the Orangemen have one win. What is with the Nittany Lions? What is with Penn
1: State? Oh, and five, oh, as we and speak. And
2: five. Yes. What is, and they play Michigan, Michigan is also terrible, too. Oh, they're terrible. They're they're brutal, but they they have to go to Mission, the big house. I think this weekend and play and play house. Oh, and
1: fuck. yeah, it's as hard my to God. watch. I turned off the game last week uh, at I think it was thirty one seven when I decided. You know what? I don't care what happens from here on out. I'm turning. I get a group chat with me and my old roommates, and we're we're on we're texting each other back and forth usually all week long, and then all day Saturday. I. I hit mute on the notifications. I turn the TV off. I forget what I want. I think I went to make dinner and watch West Wing reruns on my on my phone, <laughs> so I could uh, just get yeah, away from it. it it's not fun to watch. Not no, not going to a
2: bowl game—that's for sure. And, and the James Franklin star has uh, been tarnished a little bit, to say yeah, the least. Yeah,
1: it's—I oh, mean—and and, and me and ugly. my friends lament all the fourth quarter leads that have gotten away these last four or five years. Um, don't even—I mean—don't even have a first quarter lead anymore. <laughs> no, it's it is bad right now.
2: Uh, bad bad for both of our alma maters.
1: That's for sure. Yeah, ain't much fun. But thanks for bringing that up. I always appreciate. Yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, happy Thanksgiving. Happy and, uh, Thanksgiving to you, Ed. Enjoy it. I will uh, see where I can find Gerard Phelan, and yeah. uh, we'll see if we can get that done for next time. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We're on the 30 with Murdy platform, but this is me and Eddie C. You can find us at WFAN.com, radio.com. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts as well. Go back and subscribe and listen to some of our past episodes. Uh, I had a recent chat with Peter King and we weren't talking football, we were talking baseball. His early days in the business covering the Cincinnati Reds of Johnny Bench, Tom Seaver, and even some Pete Rose stories in there as well. Uh, and also spoke recently with Stu Sternberg, owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, got his reaction to Blake Snell coming out in the sixth inning when he's the one who has the most invested in that decision. The rest of us are watching and criticizing it from afar. You'll hear Sternberg's take on that. The 2020 season, finances going forward in Major League Baseball, a lot to cover there so go back and check out those past episodes my thanks to eddie c my thanks to you for listening subscribe review and all that jazz and until next time thanks again for listening he's ed coleman i'm sweeney murty
0: (sighs) spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too